Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. I like Game Time because it's quick and easy to use. You want to search Browns tickets, it's right there. You want to go to Ohio State basketball, it's right there. Concerts for the summer, just a couple of clicks, you find it all. And now Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what you do. You download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on My Tickets, create an account, then under the billing section, redeem the code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, and you get $10 off your first purchase from GameTime. That's free money! Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's coming. New Year's Eve, December 31st, it expires. So make your moves quick and score last-minute tickets using the GameTime app. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, and Tom Reed. All right, it's the postseason edition of Civilized Barking. Zach Jackson and Pat McManaman here. And when you cover the Browns, as we both have for decades, we know the offseason is the season. Uh, they didn't wait this year. The game ended at 4.03, and uh, four hours later, Freddie Kitchens had been fired. That was the obvious move. It was a total disaster. The organization is a total disaster, as usual, and we're here to talk about it. How are you, Pat? <laughs> I'm fine. After that introduction, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what to say either. Um, so we're both back in Northeast Ohio now. It's Monday afternoon as we record this. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. Um, obviously, we weren't going to record right after the game yesterday. Standard protocol, knowing that the coach was going to get fired at a certain time, although we thought it would be Monday morning. We weren't writing, um, knowing that news was coming. And then I did write a column and I filed it. And in the 15 minutes I was waiting, um, we got the news. So the column was obsolete. But I want to start there, Pat, um, for this reason. So one of the things from that column that will never see the light of day was from, you know, my experience posted up in the tunnel uh, and then in, in the in the post-game locker room and just had been talking to people over the course of day of a few days. Um, and the feeling was that everything is in limbo. The Freddie thing was just about a given, but I feel like the whole organization is in limbo. And that's where we start here on Monday afternoon. Um, they're near 24 hours exactly after they lost to the Bengals. Um, you know, we don't have concrete answers. We have confirmations of, of head coaching names. We have reports out there about what happens next, but uh, I'm going to go with what I know. And that's that the whole thing's in limbo and that pretty much anyone um, is guessing where it goes next. Yeah, and you know what, uh, Zach? Limbo is not a good place to be when you're searching for a, a new coach. Uh, it's not a good place to be for an organization, period. But when you're looking for a coach, uh, you want you want some decided, defined roles, and you want people knowing what they're going to be doing and, and working in those roles. And so I would certainly hope that, you know, I mean, anything is possible with this team. We've seen everything happen, and anything could happen. But you would certainly hope that if John Dorsey is going to be part of a coaching search, that he understands what his role is going to be with a new coach. Is that a lot to ask? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think that's well said. So, um, you know, starting probably last Wednesday, I texted people that various um, clout and other organizations, various levels of NFL experience, just asking, you know, who would be on your list? What are you hearing? What do you think happens, right? And, um, 
you know, two of them got back to me with real serious answers on, um, you know, who they would hire if they were in the Browns position, who they think will be out there for certain jobs, you know, not knowing the fit. And one of them got back to me and said, if you're asking who the Browns are going to hire, the answer is whoever Peyton Manning says they're going to hire. And so that is, of course, a nod to the ownership that um, seems wishy-washy. And, and, you know, Pat, sometimes I think it's a little unfair or at least maybe not wholly accurate over the course of the disasters that come up in a Brown season when people point to the ownership. But when you talk about large decisions like this and you talk about the uncertainty that you just pointed to, I think it has to start there. And if they don't know or if they're soliciting outside opinions, then you're damn doomed from the start, which is why this is the fifth coaching search in the last seven years. I could not say it better. And, you know, we both know owners don't block. They don't tackle. They don't throw passes. They don't catch them and they don't run for touchdowns. But owners set the standard. Owners set the tone. Owners define roles. Owners create the structure and they create the organization that makes things work. And all, all the Browns have to do is look in their division at the two shining examples of an organization that is has a guiding hand as an owner and makes things work. One's Baltimore, one's Pittsburgh. And they have continuity, they have uh, defined roles, people understand what's going on. And through all the chaos of the Cleveland Browns, going all the way back to the infamous Three Stooges question at the press conference when Joe Banner, you know, when they get rid of Chud, uh, the one constant through all this has been the ownership. And, and I don't think that that's an accident. I think that you have an owner who's impatient. I think that in this case, the, the crazy thing about it is, and this is about the best way I can sum it up, is they had to make the move they made with the coach. But even in making the right move, they looked foolish and they looked disorganized. It just is incredible that this team every year comes to this point. Right. So let's get to the, to the speculation that you're waiting on. Now, most of this is speculation, um, but I will start – here with this. I was fairly confident that that Josh McDaniels was going to be one of the people that they formally reached out to starting Monday morning when that period happens. I mean, go back on the athletic and read the list. I think I put 11 names. I ranked them in terms of the upfront guys from the way I see it, the middle guys that maybe, maybe nots, and then a group of long shots. There were three favorites. Those were Greg Roman, Kevin Stefanski, and Josh McDaniels. Um, and, and I start with him for a couple of reasons, but one being, as I mentioned, I was fairly confident they're going to reach out to him. But two, Pat, is you and I have been talking for a couple of weeks now, and Jason and I have talked and we've written and we've discussed to some level in this public forum. Nobody really sees Josh McDaniels working with John Dorsey. And another guy who I don't know if they have or will reach out to is Urban Meyer. Nobody sees those two working together either. So it goes back to limbo. And like you just said, I mean, maybe these reports and these whispers are erroneous and maybe Dorsey knows exactly what his position is going to be. But these are reputable people, starting with Charles Robinson, who's anything but a rumor monger and, and a stirrer of stuff, saying that the structure will ultimately be dictated by who's hired by the head coach. So how in the world could you have Dorsey and Dorsey's crew lining up interviews how in the world could you have Dorsey scheduled for a Tuesday press conference with the local media and the possibility that in a week or a month when the coach is hired, that Dorsey won't be in charge? How in the world would you do that? That, that banging you hear in the background is me smashing my head against the desk because it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, I, and to me, 
if you're going to have a certain way you're going to go about the search, you come out and you say it. And you don't come out with these platitudes that were in the statement yesterday about, you know, comprehensive effort or whatever it was. I mean, it's some nonsense that we've heard so many times before over and over. Um, you come out and you, you say, this is how we're going to do it. I'm, the owner's going to do it and the GM's going to be involved. And so is the, if his son-in-law is involved, fine. If Paul D, whoever's involved, if they want to make the, the guy who cleans the, the shoulder pads on, on Thursday morning be involved, that, whoever it is, fine. But come out and say it, you know, define it. And if you're going to interview a coach, and I think we both agree that Josh McDaniels is a very strong candidate and would be a very strong hire. If you're going to, if you're going to decide that he's going to be the guy, I mean, you got to know the structure that he's going to walk into. You don't just bring him in and then tell your GM who's built this team right. and got these players, well, we'll see you later. It's just bizarre. I, I mean, again, we'll find out when Dorsey talks to the media, but it's also odd that he didn't talk to the media today. Come out and explain all this. Right. And it's so typical Browns. And that's what's so disappointing. So just to make another thing clear, guys, like we don't know and you don't know. And in the past when we've known or we've thought we've known how this guy's going to turn out, we don't know. <laughs> right. And I know that's a whole lot of we don't knows, but damn it, we don't know. As I mix my laughter with my tears and I wish I was mixing a tall drink right now. What I'm trying to say here is it doesn't do any of us any good to get involved with the speculation of, of who or what, like it will work out. But I guess Pat, as you've alluded to, like, I'm sorry. I'm rambling here. Okay. 80% of the people think Josh McDaniels is good. 20% think is bad. 60% of the people wanted Kevin Stefanski last year. 40% have no idea who he is. They wouldn't recognize him if they saw him walking down West ninth street right now. Right. Um, right. I just wish there was more faith in the process and in knowing. So I guess it's, I guess what I want to say is it's fair to say that someone who has head coaching experience, someone who can try to resuscitate Baker, someone who can instill some discipline in this team. Those are obvious things that go on any list, right? Is, is there anything I'm leaving out without getting into debating of, I wouldn't go there on McDaniels. Roman's never been a head coach, things like that. I mean, are those Three pretty fair, negotiable, but fair building blocks for starting this conversation. They're, they're absolute necessities in terms of building blocks. The only one I would add is somebody who understands the concept of play calling and play structure and offense. That It's not scattershot. That, that somebody who at least can either do it or bring in somebody who understands how what the meaning of a play call is in the first quarter and how that play call affects something in the fourth quarter. But everything you said is right. Discipline, structure. Uh, getting ba Baker Mayfield straight, and that might be the most important thing of all because I don't think any of us expected to be sitting here with questions about the quarterback at this point in time. But they need somebody to come in who who can do that. And I, to me, you need someone with juice. Now, Josh McDaniels has head coaching experience. you got Mike McCarthy has head coaching experience. If you're going to talk about bringing in another guy without head coaching experience, you're again talking about learning on the job. Is that something the Browns want to do? Right. And, and that, to me, eliminates any college coaches from consideration here for this locker room, right? The egos, yeah. the personalities, the feeling of, of gross underachievement from this year, the feeling of all the moving parts because of all the guys who a year ago we would have said are definitely in the long-term plans, and we can't say that now. I think that probably eliminates that. Uh, now, one thing I would like to see eliminated, Pat, but the problem is it might eliminate half your pool 
I don't want my head coach, especially my first-time head coach, calling the plays. But as you said, that's probably most important, and that's what gets half these guys on the list to start with. Right. And, you know, who is it calling the plays? If it's, you know, you bring in Freddie Kitchens to call the plays, you can fairly say, is he ready for it? Was he ready for it? We saw the answer. If you bring in a Josh McDaniels who's, who's been doing it for years, well, maybe he's a little more ready for it. Kevin Stefanski has only called plays for a year and, and a few games. Is he going to be ready for it? So right. to me, it's the guy you hire. I think McDaniels brings a lot of juice and credibility that, that overcomes a lot of the questions you may have. He's worked with Belichick. He's worked with Super Bowl teams. He's worked with the best quarterback maybe ever. So that, that's a lot of stuff on the resume that, that a lot of other people are not going to have that I think could overcome uh, the shortcomings of a guy calling plays for the first time. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually people just brush it off or blame themselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or people avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all for the comfort and privacy of your own home. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple too. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Barking and complete an online visit. That's GetRoman.com slash Barking to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. GetRoman.com slash Barking for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash Barking. So someone posed an interesting question to me last night, and, and my answer was, a, that's a great question, and B, let me do more when I have more time, as obviously this window was closed. But um, it's a very fair question. Is Why has Greg Roman been a coach in the NFL for 22 years and has never been a head coach previously? So, you know, is it a little bit of the one-year wonder phenomenon, or has it just not been the right situation? But you look at this guy, been an offensive coordinator for a Super Bowl team, been an offensive coordinator in Buffalo. Now, second stint with the Ravens, clearly tied to the Harbaugh brothers, one of whom is, is clearly riding a high right now and has developed this offense uh, in Baltimore that has some rare talent. But, you know, I mean, these are some big time credentials and what this offense has done has just crushed. I mean, to me, that's the no brainer guy at the top of just about anybody's list. Well, I see to me, he wouldn't be Zach. And I'll tell you why, because I think that he's had his biggest, most success in recent years with, with unique skill set quarterbacks, guys who, on the read, you know, both Cap and uh, Lamar Jackson are read option kind of guys who can run. I don't think we have that in Cleveland. I mean, Baker Mayfield is not a running quarterback. So, can Greg? Does Greg Roman have the skills? And you know, his his tenure and his uh, length of of you know years of in the league would tell you yes. But I haven't recently. His greatest success is not with a drop drop back passer. So I would kind of wonder about that. Well, I would tell you that Baker is unique and that he's a petulant child with a unique talent for clarifying or apologizing on social media after acting like one. So, um, you know, <laughs> don't beat around the bush. <laughs> All right. I, I'm going to give you guys two scenes from yesterday. And I know one of them made, made Tom Reed's story. And again, it got lost in here. So what happened is we decided the game didn't matter anyway. And then it, it was, it was a 10 point game with, with two minutes or, I think just under two minutes. Anyway, that doesn't matter. So we decided we were just going to post up and, and get down in the tunnel and see who was and wasn't walking in the locker room, what the body language was like. And, and my whole goal was to just write a scenes article, scenes from what we, we thought was the last game of the Freddie Kitchens tenure. So 
it's a very at Paul Brown Stadium. It's a very short walk from the tunnel. The visitors go in. It's an immediate right turn in a walk of about 15 yards across a large hallway. There's a, you don't go down and turn, or you don't go down a ramp or anything like you do at some stadiums. It's pretty much in. So th- these security people are trained. You know the the elevators are held for the coaches. Certain access ways are cut off so the players and coaches can get through. And with about 30 seconds left in the game, there was a large group of stadium workers carting food and drink through. And so the stadium workers looking and says, you guys have to hustle. If you hustle, we can let you through. So about 10 or 12 of them get through and then they're cut off. They say, you guys have to wait a group of about four or six. So that leaves one guy, a 30 something guy who was pushing. It's been, it's been told as a beer vendor, but he was pushing a cart that had beer among other things on it, a big, probably four foot, six foot long cart. And so he is there waiting you know, 10 yards away from them where the Browns players are going in the locker room. And he's yelling, oh, the Bengals won today. Go Bengals. Some version of Bengals. He's screaming. And it's it's headache-inducing. It's incessant. In three minutes, he probably yells Bengals 35 times. Well, the Browns <laughs> come in, and almost no one acknowledges him. You can hear from fans chanting overrated. They're calling names to Odell. Odell's smiling. You know, Freddie, of course, has the look on his face that you can imagine, but he doesn't stop to acknowledge anyone. Well, Baker starts to go in the locker room, and this guy's yelled Bengals. And Baker stops and screams, you better effing relax, man, and starts to take a step back like he's going to come after this guy. And a couple teammates nudge him, and that was that. But it's just like, man, you've got to just knock this off, the majoring and the minor, that you're such a tough guy. Just play football. Just worry about yourself. Um, The other image I would give from yesterday is about 30 seconds before halftime, I was hustling to get back to my seat and, you know, not that the game was that intriguing that I didn't think I could miss the second half kickoff, but I was happened to be sitting where John Dorsey and the people that he sit with sit on a Sunday. And frankly, given the mood of everything, I didn't want to be the guy cutting anyone off a player two into the half. Right, Pat, you can understand that. Right. So as, as I come around the corner, not sprinting, but walking briskly to make sure I get back to my seat, I look over. And with 30 seconds left in the half, there's Todd Munkin in the hot dog line in the press box. Now, the Browns weren't getting the ball to start the second half. But you think this is a a coaching staff that knew exactly what was coming? (laughs) He was hungry. (laughs) I mean, the Bengals have some really good press box food. And those halftime Coney dogs, I'll tell you, they've contributed to my weight gain over the years. But I'm just telling you, this is the story of the season. If he was we're in yelling, line for the chili, I'd understand it a little more. And we're getting hot dogs for the second half. <laughs> well, let's also throw this image out there, and this one was on social media, of Baker standing waiting to take the field before the game, uh, before their team's introduced with his teammates behind him. And they got a fan screaming at him, yelling at him, taunting him, whatever. Uh, and Baker looked screaming to the guy, why don't you come down here and say that to my face? And knowing full well the guy can't go down on the field. I mean, he'll get thrown out of the yeah. game. Again, I mean... This stuff has nothing to do with winning, and your thing about majoring in the minor is right on. Getting into it with fans, getting into it with a vendor, that's got nothing to do with winning a game. And anything that you do that takes away from winning the game, it's not going to help you. And and this is a prevailing thought. And this is not intended to be pile on Baker, but the numbers are what they are, and the truth is what it is. Um, Some of the people that I've talked to said that the Browns will not get an A-list candidate, and Baker's maturity issues are a part of that. Now, not as much as the ownership, 
And if a guy believes in Baker's talent, we know darn well that 75% or more of these NFL openings usually come with a big opening at quarterback, too, and a huge question mark, right? We've seen that in Cleveland for 20 years. But, I mean, these are real things. And, and you know, as our colleague Mike Lombardi reported, Matt Rule told the Browns, thanks but no thanks, right? Was he a fit anyway? Would it have worked? I don't know. But I really think that's a real thing, that between the ownership and the quarterback's regression, that it could cost them eventually. There's no question. And I think – it's markedly the most amazing thing is the marked difference between a year ago and this year. And a year ago, it was the most attractive job out there because of the quarterback and because of, yeah. you know, the, the situation you would presumably be there long-term because you're coming in with a quarterback, you're coming in with a young, a young team, obviously long-term in the, in the Browns world is pretty different from most people's world. But I think right now there are legitimate, people are going to ask legitimate questions. What about your quarterback? He, he took on the training staff. You know, he, he, he has to be non-cookie cutter. He has to do this, that, or the other thing. He right. was 31st in the league, I believe, in pass in uh, completion percentage. I believe he was 31st in the league in passer rating, quarterback rating. And he's second in the league in interceptions. Those are also big questions that have to be answered during this interview process with all candidates. Well, one other thing I meant to say earlier um, that's a non-starter for me whoever the new coach is, none of this buddy system stuff. I don't need the quarterback's friends on the staff and in the meeting room. I certainly don't need the wide receivers coach to be friends with my star diva wide receivers. Right. And like, I'll just come out and say a name here. If Josh McDaniels becomes the head coach, I do not need Ben McDaniels on the staff. I don't need any of that crap. It's been going on here for years, Pat, and it's got to stop. No, I, I concur with you completely, but Jarvis Landry did an interview today and we asked, he was asked, what's the main thing that's needed? And he said, just leadership, leadership. And they need someone who's going to be a leader for the team and not a buddy and not, you know, a a guy they can chum around with. They need a a leader and a coach who is a leader. And then maybe you can have some players emerge as leaders as well as they grow up. But, I mean, that's three words. It's said a ton. So until we actually see these interviews take place and and or guys drop out or get hired elsewhere or – take themselves out of the running as they always do when they know they're not getting the job. Um, There's not a whole lot else we can say. Uh, There will be more podcasts when there are developments. There will be stories trying to get this looked at from every angle. Um, But I want to start to close with one question, Pat. Uh, Is hiring Freddie Kitchens, is that a fireable offense to John Dorsey? If, If that would happen in the next day to two weeks, would you say, I understand Wow. I would say I understand, but I think Dorsey has done some many other some other good things that have helped build this team into what we believe can and should be a good team. I think if you take this exact same roster and you put it forward to 2020 with these experience they've had this year and, and whoever was here the year before, and you have a more organized, disciplined coach who's going to stress those kinds of things, I think we both would expect different results than 6 and 10. And, you know, not to say they're going to be 12 and four. I think a little bit of that was over the top. And, uh, you know, I'll plead guilty for whatever role I played in building that hype. But I do think that this roster is not built to be a six and 10 team. It's not built to be a 500 team. I think it's built to be a better team than that. I think there's more talent than that. And I think a better coach will produce a better result. So from that result, from that end, I would say it, it probably would be harsh if you just up and got rid of John Dorsey. Yeah, that's fair. Um, 
you know, I think if we all went to court and, and pled guilty of feeding the hype machine, we'd all take our fine and go home. Right. right. I don't think anybody would be held in prison for that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah. was John Dorsey guilty of thinking that this team could s- skip the middle step and it could go from a team that hasn't won crap. that's perennially doing a coaching search to all of a sudden they win a few games and now, now they load up and, and now they, was it really a fair expectation for this team internally? Because it doesn't matter what we say or right. Right. Like, right. But it, it's clear in, in Olivier Vernon and in Odell Beckham, other things like that, that they thought they could skip the middle step and they were, I, I don't care what he said on the record. They, they thought they could win this year and they didn't do it. No question. Absolutely. They thought they could win. I think they probably expected 10 or 11 wins to be honest. I mean, if they're going to be honest with us, they would say the same thing. We all thought that I, I just think, you know, if, whether it's a middle step or how you want to define it, it, you can't just throw players together. You have to pay attention to how they fit, how they mesh and how team building goes and personalities. And, you know, if ever a team cried out for a strong leader to have a firm hand on a, on a, on a, on a team that had yet to prove itself, it would have been this year. And, you know, it was a colossal mistake on his part to bring in Freddie Kitchens and assume he could make a jump from essentially an interim, well, not essentially, from an interim coordinator to the head coach. It, it was too much to ask, especially with play calling on his plate. Yeah, uh, I mean, to answer my own question, uh, yes, I mean, <laughs> Dorsey should should – you know, should be on the hot seat for hiring Freddie Kitchens. And when you add things like Antonio Callaway to that, um, just the overall vibe of thinking that accumulating the talent is enough. I, I mean, if he gets fired, I'm not saying I'm going to love it, right? I'm, I'm not saying I'm supporting it because at this current moment I don't. But I'm certainly going to say I understand. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you could justify it in your mind. I think the fact that it certainly seems like the owner is back in charge of this hire from everything we're reading and hearing. Well, uh, maybe we'll and, learn something and, different tomorrow, but it sure seems that way. Right. Well, and that and that is a great way to close this podcast, Pat, because we could say from, <laughs> from the very start to now, we could say the problem is, even if you understand getting Dorsey getting hired, we don't know what's next. We don't know how it will be shaped next, and we don't know who will be making the calls. And as it turns from whatever day today is, December 30th into early 2020, and whether the hire is made in six days or five weeks, and it's a Super Bowl assistant, we don't know. But the fact that there's so many unknowns, <laughs> it's just red alert again. It just feels like every other time all over again. And I'll just throw this one thought out there, and I'm stealing from somebody on Twitter, and I wish I had his name and handle in front of me. But he's po- he posted last night, the Browns have – fired a coach and are going to hire a new one, be sure to change the batteries in your smoke detectors because it's just something that happens every year at the same time. Yeah. Seven years and two months going on three. The Haslam's have owned the team. This is their fifth coaching search. Some numbers speak for themselves. Mind numbing. He's Pat. I'm Zach. This has been Civilized Barking. Again, we'll talk to you uh, when we have some developments uh, on this whole deal. Thanks for listening.